to be honest, I'm really wanting to do a podcast to like make one myself. So I thought that was like really interesting that you popped up on Instagram and um, that's not why I'm doing it. It's also interesting because it's like a subject really like scarily close to me. And welcome to Unfinishing, the podcast about projects that never got completed or that never made it out into the world. My name's Em Anderson and my guest this week is Lewis Hobson, who is an artist and a rock climber. Lewis is the founder of Durham Spray Paints and he creates beautiful and very large murals for communities and local businesses around the northeast. I had a lot of fun talking to Lewis about a whole range of unfinished projects, including a climbing YouTube channel, an outdoor community climbing wall, and a series of stories and novels that were inspired by vivid dreams. Lewis also had some thoughtful and really perceptive things to say about moving from doing graffiti to doing murals, about taking risks, and about having the optimism to start new projects without worrying about where they're going. Just before we get to that, I wanted to let you know that if you have an unfinished or so far private project that you'd like to talk about, you can email me on unfinishing.pod at gmail.com or get me on Twitter at TrueBaggleRag. So tell me what would your podcast be about if you're going to do it? This is is probably what we're going to get into. So I, I go like idea first with things. I'll come up with like the name of something before I even know what it is, or I kind of like work backwards. So I went to a Norman Cornish exhibition and he was a Pittman painter. So he worked in the coal mines in Durham. Yeah. He's from just like around the corner. He like did depictions of, you know, like village life down the mines and just really, really interesting stuff. And he was like super talented. Yeah. And when I did a mural, the first mural I did was a, a portrait, like his self portrait. Oh, wow, okay. I don't really like his pins that much, but I was really interested in that portrait he did because it was just mm. really lovely colours. And it also, like, launched my career. So I went to see this exhibition of him, and there's, like, a video of him talking. He's, like, got a northern accent. And I was just so, like, weirded out. But I was like, well, obviously, he's, like, from around the corner. Yeah. That's just how he's going to sound. But so then, yeah, I was just really thinking about that. And I was like, God, it is such a shock to hear, like, a, mm. a local voice and I just really want to make a podcast that has people with accents that have held them back in any way. Interesting. And I definitely want to base it around like people in the northeast of England. Yeah, I just really want to like explore a few ideas. And, you know, a lot of the stories I write have been about that sort of identity. Like I was saying to you about my like Geordie space sci-fi thing. <laughs> you were. So let's do that in a minute (laughs) yeah yeah because first what I want to ask you about just based on what you've said is so you mentioned doing the mural of the self-portrait which relates to your main occupation and we should tell people what you do which is you're primarily an artist yeah yeah so I do um large-scale mural art my background was kind of in like graffiti and street art Mm -hmm. and during the pandemic I just sort of went up to a scrapyard and said oh do you mind if I like do something colorful on the walls here yeah and they were like, yeah, whatever, you know, a bit confused. And I was like, well, you know, I'll make it so it's colourful and then it'll cover your graffiti and people won't paint it because I've done it nice. And yeah. then I did that portrait. Oh, no, I did a, I did a big pigeon. Um, 
like a two-story pigeon really really quick <laughs> oh my word where is the pigeon i covered it over because it wasn't very good because it was like my first one i was like really worried and just didn't really understand how to do things yeah yeah then i painted the norman cornish portrait and uh yeah it was, it was during the pandemic i just started being interested in doing things that weren't like letters because my background's like pure lettering and then it just progressed and now i do it full time so lettering so like graffiti so when you see like a name on a motorway a lot of people wouldn't use the term lettering but it, for yeah. me it's like one of the only ways to distinguish it because now people say oh like are you a graffiti artist mm. the actual distinction i would use is we call ourselves writers that's okay. like the graffiti term for someone who primarily uses a name and is more interested in style and, and letters than than like characters and pictures i guess so this is already giving us a bit of an insight into all the different strands of things that you do. So you've talked about <laughs> podcast, you started about uh, doing lettering or graffiti. You also do enormous murals, which are fantastic. And we'll put a link to your um, artwork in the show notes. And this links to what you said to me when we first started talking about doing this podcast, because you said the sentence, I am completely unfinished. <laughs> So after that, I, of course, had to ask you one. And I think you were making a little bit of a joke, but I do have to ask you about it. So why is it that you feel that? I've been thinking about it. Uh, it's really hard to explain, but I think it's because I just love the feeling of like creating and doing stuff. Mm. And I am like an ideas person. I am not a follow through person. <laughs> I'm not scared to like start something and do really terribly or not see something through so yeah it's kind of with creative projects of course it's great to have that freedom but like I'm still renovating a house after two years <laughs> I have so many ideas that I do execute a few really elegantly and then a few just end up like complete total mess um, well most of them so like 99% of my ideas just end up in some sort of stage of disrepair <laughs> sure and do you how do you feel about the ones that end up in a state of disrepair? Do you see them as quote-unquote failures or do they feel like something else? Well, it's really interesting because like I didn't know what, what I wanted to do with my life and what was kind of really going on in, mm. in a lot of ways before I started doing murals because yeah. for me, murals like combined a lot of my skills like because of doing graffiti and having such a high-pressure, secretive art. <laughs> when I started doing murals... It, it was really easy for me. The things I was drawn was very easy. I could take my time because it wasn't illegal. I wasn't worried because I'm a rock climber, so I could climb all the ladders and go really high. And that's why my murals are really big. It just so many things combined. And I was like, this is like perfect for me. This is everything. But um, it's a good job that I'm like an artist now because before that, my behavior was kind of like inexcusable. <laughs> um because, yeah, I was just, you know, starting different things. And I don't know, now I look back and I, I think it was all kind of preparing me to be able to do this really, really effectively. Mm. But at the time, it was kind of like difficult to justify and probably just looked like I was picking things up and just drying them and kind of, you know, a bit confused, really. Sure. And and was that judgment? This is a slightly personal question, so feel free not to answer it. But was that kind of judgment, was that from you or was it kind of other people that were saying, oh, come on, you know, you should be doing one thing or you should be putting all your energy into something different? Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting question and it is personal, but I definitely don't mind answering because I think about it a lot because there is obviously a lot of pressure from, you know, friends, family and like 
I guess, society to do normal things and to not take risks. Mm. But I've always been like taking risks and doing different things. But only now people are seeing like what that culminates in. So for 25 years, it just didn't make sense. And Mm. there was a lot of unfinished and there was a lot of why are you doing it like this? You know, a lot of the things that I did, people just would see as just way too risky and not not something they would ever do but now it kind of makes sense in retrospect so and just to pick up as well of what you said when you were talking about doing the lettering or the graffiti you said that obviously when you're doing that version of your artwork it was secretive Mm -hmm. and I was intrigued by the idea of doing artwork where people don't know that it's you that's done it Mm -hmm. I've had other people say previously that if they do an artwork they really enjoy getting other people's praise and enjoyment in seeing it and I guess if it's secretive that might be slightly different yeah I mean with my murals I definitely I don't so much care about like the praise as in like this is a nice piece of art because Mm -hmm. for me it's just purely I just love the process of like actually painting it and just sitting and doing little lines Mm -hmm. but also like the planning and the design and getting the right image but what I really love and what I've really come to just be kind of like needing while I'm painting is like that appreciation and like love from people when you've just got the right mural like I did an RNLI mural in Hartlepool yeah you know they'd recently like lost this really young lad you know he died at sea and everyone was just like so grateful and you know you could tell it was like just right for them and yeah for for my paintings like that's what I'm looking for it's nice when people are like oh that's like technically really cool Mm. but it's even better when they're like saying like thank you I really appreciate this and I'm like oh that was really unexpected and not why I do things but I do really like that aspect of murals but with graffiti I guess it is just the same thing like I just love the process and it's almost the opposite like I really like the confusion and people just not being able to understand they can't just google it they can't just ask someone down the pub it's purely confusion you know but it's, it's a lot of different things but that is one aspect that I find really interesting and I'm going to jump now to some of the unfinished projects that we were planning on talking about <laughs> um, oh, yeah. the, the first of which were related to climbing so you mentioned that you're also a rock climber as well as an artist and you've got two unfinished projects that relate to climbing and the first of those is a YouTube climbing channel which achieved international success and you did an episode with Epic TV as well which is a climbing and mountaineering channel so would you be able to tell me a little bit about that YouTube channel and about the work that you did with Epic TV? Yeah, so when I say it was internationally successful, that's kind of a joke, <laughs> but also not because it did it did reach very, very far. And it culminated with the Epic TV thing. And then after that, we just stopped because we were like, how can we go any further than this mm. Epic TV, which is the most, it's like the biggest cringe in the climbing scene. It was when all the vlogs came out of people like doing like really boring climbing indoors and (laughs) just like these like Londoners with absolutely no crack so it was kind of this like cheesy at the end like really messing up telling everyone to subscribe just being like make sure you hit the bell and do bye you know it was just really like really awkward Mm -hmm. Uh, but so we did we did it around like buildering um which is the climbing of buildings and it's like bouldering and buildings it just started as like a thing where I was just building and I just wanted to 
find different routes and like establish new lines basically around yeah. the town Durham where I live. And I recorded this video just because the climb I was doing was like this big traverse and it looked really, really cool. And I thought oh, a video would actually look pretty good on that. So I made this like video and I put this like tune on it and it just, it fits so incredibly well. The, the visuals just worked really well. The editing was terrible. But this video just like worked so, so well. And I shared it to a few people and they were like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then that video ended up getting like on some climbing channel and, you know, it got shared loads and had like thousands and thousands of views. And it was just like my first test one. You know, that was like another thing where I was like, oh, I just have a go because creatively I'm just seeing like what this could be. Yeah. And then it went well. So it turned into this big YouTube thing and we were like filming ourselves going around Bildering and we went to London because they had a Bildering map and we went to like try and challenge their their grades and just we made a really funny video like taking the piss out of all of them. And then when, when we went down, Epic TV had, had said like, we'll come down and film you in London. Mm. Uh, they filmed us like going around some of the problems and interviewed us as professional builders. <laughs> it was like so awkward and it's definitely one of them things where I think everyone was saying like, you know, we want more, we want more videos, we want more content, but it was just getting in the way and, you know, I'd done what I wanted to do with it. Mm. I think anyone else probably would have just kept on going and been doing like one of them things where they do a, a video every week and then they just get like sadder and sadder, <laughs> like <laughs> weekly, more forced. They're just like, hey guys, today we're going to oh god I don't even know where we're going like yeah so it's about knowing when to stop clinging on to something when it's served a purpose well I mean I I think it comes with like the way I start things so I just started that as like a it's just like a total joke and I was just enjoying making the videos and then it just ended and it, it was it was a really good time but yeah the epic tv video definitely go and have a look at that because it's just <laughs> it's like so bad the comments are all really like aggressive saying like i've unsubscribed like this is this is terrible <laughs> oh it's just it's brilliant what buildings were you climbing out of interest so we like established to be fair to us the the core sort of idea is like really really pure so i think one of the most fundamental things that made climbing like such an adventure sport back in the day was like pioneering new lines Mm. and I think that it's really mean that all of the old people stole them all they should have like just kept a few for our generation because now we don't have that exploration and you know that it's moved into like this climbing gym sort of thing so to kind of get that fixed we were finding like buildings to climb sure and we just found some like really interesting routes on like really interesting architecture that also had like an added dimension of just having things that were impossible to find on rock. There's like a map, if people are interested, and it's called Durham Builder and Map. And it just has like a really, really cool circuit of of routes and some really cool challenging ones. And, you know, some of them like pretty interesting, pretty hard, like seven C sort of climbs. Mm-hmm. We should say that for people who aren't climbers, there's a mm. climbing rating system um, of and seven seems pretty hard <laughs> yeah sorry climbers do that they forget that other people don't climb <laughs> it strikes me listening to you talk about doing a climbing youtube channel and the epic tv stuff that there is a connection that i was talking to a recent interviewee about i, I spoke to anna fleming who's a climber and a writer and she said something interesting about the combination of extroversion and introversion that those two activities require 
And listening to you talk about the YouTube, it strikes me that there's an extroversion thing going on with climbing again there. Would you describe yourself as an extrovert? Do you think that's something that helps you climb or? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, I am an extrovert, but I'm very like off and on. So it's like, it was easy with the climbing thing because I was putting on this like persona. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like when you see, you know, you see a comedian and they're just like a really like exaggerated version of themselves. Yeah. The YouTube was like that. So for me, it's really easy to like, you know, when the camera turns on, I just know what I'm doing. I know what I'm going to say. And it, it just kind of happens. And I'm in that character. But outside of that, I'm like, you know, when I'm not with loads of people and like something's happening, I'm just like super chill, like introvert. Like I really love just the opposite of that. Like, mm. so I don't know if that makes me both or, or extroverts are really like high and low. So yeah. Um, yeah, just able to switch it on when it's a performance thing. Yeah, and I think having like the comedic value really does help with that because, mm. you know, one of the reasons I was like sort of mulling over why I'm so willing to go with projects is because a lot of them are like comedy. So for me, it's mm. like a lot easier to make mistakes in that sort of realm because it's not meant to be serious and you're meant to be entertaining people. And I, I always find that I, I can be more like purely creative when I'm. So one of the other climbing things we did was um, I wrote loads of like climbing rap songs um, <laughs> and I found that like so much easier doing those as a joke than when yeah. I like tried to like write an actual song that's a serious song. I found that so hard, but I was like writing, writing like a full album of climbing mm. hip hop songs, just pretty simply like. And is that because you feel as though comedy sort of matters less than something that's serious like the stakes are lower i think it insulates it insulates you from being like some i guess viewed in a lot of ways because like i say it's just a persona or mm. you can say oh but i don't really mean that and people can take it far and then they say oh well i'm just saying these like really weird things but i don't mean them but it's not in that kind of way it's more like um you just have an excuse to just be silly and if you're saying this is comedy you're not going to be judged mm, exactly yeah i think that's what i was trying to get at and then you just said it much better <laughs> oh i don't know i felt like i stumbled a bit there but yeah I, it's interesting because even i don't know purely why i find that much easier but i think i am just like someone uh, who likes to entertain so it does feel just much easier in that mode and i think that might be one of the reasons but i think there's probably several I could talk to you about that for a very long time, but I do want to just move quickly on to your second <laughs> climbing-related project. So this is a community interest company that you started. So this was a, a company to establish a free-to-use outdoor climbing wall in Durham, which sounds like a great idea. So what was the need that you were trying to address there, and how far did you get with setting it up? Um, well, I mean, it sounds like a brilliant idea. It's When you just say it there, I'm like, oh, that's such a good idea. Someone should do that. <laughs> but yeah, so basically... I was really sick of the climbing centre that was like local. I was driving like 35 minutes to get to a decent centre and um, the villages around Durham, so they were, they were based around like coal mines, but then when the mines went, they're just like houses and fields, you know, sure. not linked by even bus routes sometimes, just absolutely nout. And then they've also just somehow been like stripped back even further. So all of like the cool parks that were like a little bit dangerous and weird, they're all gone. And there's no to do. So I thought the way I was kind of selling it to people was climbing is like a ready made 
community mm. and the people who are in the community are just so varied and I think one of the most important things for me has been mixing with people from different walks of life different ages and I was really selling it as like a community thing you know I wanted to set something up and get people involved and get them to like take take charge in the project and you know then just run it as they see fit and there was a, loads of different iterations of it and I was kind of looking at different aspects uh, but the main one was going to be like outdoors free to use turn up it's just rock climbing and then you know just see who turns up and yeah provide something for free for people and something that's gonna bring enjoyment I guess and how far did you get with it well <laughs> I mean we had a website <laughs> uh, now nah, I got pretty far to be honest I think I, I probably would have done something if I hadn't discovered painting. Um, so Ooh. we got stopped during the pandemic. And right, yeah. There was like quite a few of us involved and there was enough people who were like saying, yes, let's do this to make the idea work. But honestly, I think I was the only one who was like actually willing to seriously sacrifice because I, people were like keen on the idea. But I think for me, there was such a social thing driving it that it wasn't a project I could do by myself. And I think... I realized that when I started doing painting and I can do everything myself. Yeah. It got close and there was a few people who were like really keen, but I think in the end it just came down to liability and, you know, yeah. people just not wanting to take a risk. And I was like needing to ask questions of these like really big institutions and the places that I were talking to, it would have been class. It would have been so, so good and it would have done loads for them and the community, but it was just so hard to find anyone as passionate as me. And I think when I started getting traction with this paint and stuff, I was like, oh, I can just do what I want to do, but just with a different medium. So it's totally fell to the wayside now. And I'm just like really not bothered, to be honest. Sure. And it strikes me there listening to you talk about that, that there's a thread running through quite a lot of the projects that we've talked about, which is, providing something for your local area, being interested in the Northeast where you're from. You mentioned that when we just started talking and that brings us actually onto one of your unfinished written projects. You described it as a huge Geordie sci-fi novel that you've been adding to for years and years. <laughs> and I am delighted by the title that you've given it as well. Could you tell us what the title is? <laughs> it's funny because like I wrote like the first chapter I think the first yeah. chapter again came from a dream and I wrote I wrote it out and I sent it to loads of publishers this is like years and years ago it must be yeah. like oh god over like five years ago I said something like this is like a very likely future in which Geordie's establish a monopoly in space <laughs> <laughs> it was a really awkward email but um you know, that was because that was kind of what, you know, when I was interested in being a writer, which um, I kind of have always been in in mm -hmm. some way. When, when I was looking at it, it was like, you need to get loads of rejection letters. You need to just like beat that path. And God, it was so bad. I was really into like the writing community on Reddit, which is just full of people like desperately trying to be writers. Yeah. Their ethos is just like, do like this many words a day or... Mm. Oh, it was so, so, so bad. So the only time I've ever finished a book was following that really terrible advice of just cranking something out and kind of like being disciplined. And it just, the book was just so bad. 
And you haven't told us what it was called yet. You need to do that. Which one? Oh, the Geordie one. Yeah. It's called War Stars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I love. But that's an unfinished one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's the one that I always go back to and I always believe in the most. And I've been writing loads of that recently. I just write like different things and I've kind of like linked to like really obscure things together mm-hmm. to all be part of the story. So it feels really good. And I'm like, oh, wow, maybe this will be how it'll work. I'll just write this dream down, get this idea and write this. And then a year later, I'll be able to like stitch them together because the way it worked recently was like really seamlessly. And I was like, OK, again, this might be one of them just like long burn things. And you said there that it's, it's based on a dream a lot of your writing is based on these incredibly interesting dreams that you have, which I'm very jealous of because all of mine are about anxiety dreams about missing planes and so on. Yeah. <laughs> Having let like, your pyjamas on in public and that. and like Exactly, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me about that. How does that work? Did it? Have you always had inspirational dreams? How long did it take you to start writing them down? Like, What was the process there? I've, had, I've always had like really, really vivid dreams and... Um, it's been like a throughout my life I've always had these dreams and you know I've had like recurring dreams dreams that have been like coming back to me ever since I was really young Mm. same places and like same characters and I used to like lucid dream and stuff and I just find it really easy to like stimulate dreams somehow and then one of the things that's happened I guess the more I got into writing I started dreaming in like full stories like full films where I'm either watching it or I'm like taking part in it this story that um I've wrote the first chapter of wilting and trussing that Mm. came from like this full dream which was just like a a total film that I was like just watching and it was really good (laughs) it's really good (laughs) so if I can like get that down into words I think it'll be really good but it was just an incredible dream so this is the novel or the first chapter of a novel about I'll let you describe it it's about a world where humans have wings yeah so everyone has wings and like the most fashionable kind of wing is like this minging sort of like decrepit like black skinny little shriveled wing that you just can't see definitely couldn't fly with it Mm. and kind of like you know when you see like a little baby bird come out and it's got these really minging like gooey wings yeah sure and you just think you couldn't fly with them. And then naturally humans have these big white angel wings. Mm. And so the first part of the dream is this guy sees a homeless person outside a shop and he's got these big, beautiful white wings. And then he's just like, oh God, they are disgusting. They are so big. And throughout the dream, it's kind of like seeing all the different all the different ways that having wings affects your society, I guess, in kind of an interesting way. But I just remember the end of the dream was like this really beautiful, like utopia. Uh, And people are like flying and this guy sees people fly and he's like, can't believe it. He can't believe people are able to fly because, you know, the idea of someone flying like in the city where he comes from or in in the world and in the media is, is like so unbelievably unthinkable. And yeah, oh God, it's just thinking right now, it's like such a beautiful dream, but. Um... And it sounds, it sounds like if I read that in a novel, I'd probably overanalyze it and say that it's trying to make some kind of comment about the judgments we make as a society about how we look or the judgments we make about human potential. But I guess if it was a dream, maybe that is reading too much into it or, or would you disagree? 
So my my uh, reading I took from it was that um, the wings represent our spirituality and, um, you know, someone with big, huge wings. The, I think the reason that dream mind put them on a homeless person, um, and this homeless person is like quite a quirky guy. He's based off someone that I actually, a homeless guy I actually met, yeah. who was like uh, really difficult to have a conversation with because he was so like, he was just tapped into something else spiritually and not how society wants you to put yourself forward. But he was definitely like kind of like locked into something that we're missing. Mm. But you could tell he got punished for it. And I think it for me, it's saying like naturally we have these wings and we can fly. But mm-hmm. society is saying, saying to people who do fly, that's wrong. And I kind of had a hippie in my head. Okay you know you'll get called a hippie if you like do certain things and it's like someone who's really interested in like closeness to nature and Mm. spirituality gets like punished that was kind of my meaning but i guess there are you know there's like the physical stuff as well which is really interesting too and the final highlight slightly less seriously possibly that you've given me about your writing that's unfinished is well it also has an excellent pun as a title it's called the big bang (laughs) (laughs) could you say what that one's about um, well, to be honest, it started off as a poem that I wrote ah. called The Big Bang. Yeah. And uh, when I did my, I did like a poetry night where anyone can come and do poems. And my grandma came and before <laughs> I went up, she was like, you better not tell that space poem. <laughs> so I won't, I won't like say the whole thing, but the premise is like, no one has yet had sex in space. And I find that like really interesting as an idea. So I wrote I wrote this poem and it starts, am I the only one excited for rocket fuel to be ignited? The human race <laughs> launched into space, establish another planet base, but scientific leaps we'd need to see to research sex in zero G. <laughs> and it's just this big, it's just this really minging poem. <laughs> Not one you want to do in front of your grandma. Um, sure. Oh, not one most people would want to do in front of your grandma, <laughs> but I'd already told her it just to see her face, and she was like, "Oh my!" <laughs> and so uh, I wrote I wrote that story in France actually, and for some reason I was really impressed with France when I went. I just thought, "Bloody hell, these actually have it proper nailed on." Yeah. It was just after like the gilets jaunes had like flipped loads of Porsches okay. on the yeah, Champs Elysees, yeah. and I was like, "God, these guys are absolutely sorted." So I wrote a future where like the French are like running things and they've just like took over. It's just like a silly comedy story, but it's also just got like really interesting ideas, I guess, about like humanity and where we'll end up. And um, in the future, there probably is going to be like really weird stuff Mm. to do with sex and space. (laughs) But the idea that it hasn't happened yet is like kind of crazy. Like when I was Googling, I was like, come on, someone must have, but apparently not. I mean, that we know of. Yeah, that was the only thing. It was like, they said, oh, well, it could have happened here, you know. And I was like, ah. there must be someone who's like come down from space and wanting to own up to that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, true. Although I guess if they weren't meant to be doing it. And also I imagine that astronauts are quite closely monitored by people on the ground. So maybe mm. you wouldn't want to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a really interesting idea. But I think the idea that so the premise of the story is like this porn streaming website sponsored this like scientific mission because 
that was the only website that had money like you know the governments yeah. couldn't afford it um <laughs> which i guess is just like a really sort of sad but slightly realistic state of like world affairs and it's i mean i'm struggling to even find words like <laughs> w- without 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 giving it away because it's so great but also just like if i tell you a little bit it'll sound really weird without like the full context <laughs> I mean, I think there is a decent satirical point being made about the uses of technology and what they have been applied to. I mean, the internet is what I'm thinking of. Um, yes. Yes, thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just, I just kind of thought it was a really funny idea. And it, it's one that I just wrote because I think, yeah, it, it was a poem and then it went really well into a story when I was walking around France. It's funny because I haven't realised I've been doing like these sorts of things a while, but I guess I always have was the poetry night. Yes, yeah. So I like signed up under a fake name. That was like a really posh name. <laughs> what was the name? I, it was something just, you know, like Alabaster Bratson or something silly <laughs> like that, like Humphrey or something. I don't know. Excellent. And uh, I like wore like a blazer and like pretended I was a uni student. Yeah. I was in character like the whole night. <laughs> And I like saw someone from work and they were like, I was like, I'm in character, so don't <laughs> don't call me Lewis. And they were like, what? And they didn't really know me that well. It was really awkward, actually. That's fantastic. And because part of my act was stood up and did this poem that was like a really awkward poem that a posh person might do about autumn. And I was like, and I kicked and frolicked and played in the leaves. <laughs> and then after I said that, I like changed my stance and then I, I go... A woman turned to me and said, Oi, I've just raked those fucking leaves. <laughs> and it, it just it went it landed like really well and um Amazing. Yeah, that was my that was my first foray into into poetry, but um that's another thing that I've kind of just stopped doing, but I had a really nice time, so yeah. And are the, are the poems do they tend to all be comic as well? No, definitely not. Just I think because I make myself laugh. Uh, with them and then I think they're really good some of the ones that I've wrote that are like serious I guess you know people tend to like the most but um but I think you know the ones I end up talking about are just the funny ones because uh I just love the reaction of my grandma's face when I tell her about like a space sex poem (laughs) (laughs) 